my dear audience of tax and transfer pricing professionals, we've been at this a long time, a little over a year, in fact. I think we can be honest with each other, which is why I want you to look me in the eyes and tell me when was the last time you took a good look at your transfer pricing policies and arrangements in Mexico. Because it might be time to reevaluate due to 2020's new tax reform, which may change arrangements more than you think. There's the limitation on the deduction of interest expense, how non-deductible payments are denied when paid to non-Mexican related parties in a preferred tax regime. And that doesn't even include the changes and expansions and the definitions of permanent establishments to include non-residents who act through a dependent agent in Mexico. The bottom line, scrutiny is increasing, regulations are increasing, tax deductions are decreasing. And Cross-Border Zone, Pamesh Sharma returns to the show to tell us all about it and how much this has to do with Mexico's emerging and unique role in the 21st century economy. But before we begin, a quick note about CPE credits. You can earn them by listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout this episode. Send all three to The Fiona Show at xbs.ai, all one word, The Fiona Show at xbs.ai, and we will send you your certificate. Easy as that. In speaking of the 21st century global economy, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Listen up, MEs with operations in Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, Singapore, and New Zealand. If you're accepting COVID-related wage subsidies for entities in those countries, make sure not one dime of it leaves the country. The ATO recently issued warnings to multinationals, and as you heard on our Fiona Show long-form podcast on the CRA recently, the overtures of all hell breaking loose, if you are caught double-dipping, are officially sounding from every corner of the globe. Globe. Or as Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau diplomatically put it, we will make sure we are punishing people who try and take advantage of this situation, which I'm pretty sure is Canadian for I will come to your house in the dead of night through the cloak of both darkness and my crazy ninja skills and ritualistically shame you in front of your spouse and offspring personally with or without the consent of the House of Commons. Obviously, there's a lot at stake in this crisis, which is why the OECD is signaling they'll be releasing guidance on this soon. And you don't even want to know what that means in Canadian. And it looks like India is finally straightening out its MAP issues. That's short for the Mutual Agreement Procedures for Applying Treaties Between Countries Meant to Minimize Double Taxation. In guidance released earlier this month, it looks like the world's biggest democracy is pushing closer to compliance with the minimum standard of the 2015 OECD G20 BEPS recommendations. Who wins? Well, India and their income tax department, of course, but in a very real sense, taxpayers and practitioners as well, in that now taxpayers can make a MAP request if the actions of a tax authority for either treaty partner end in either double taxation or taxation otherwise excessive to the provisions of applicable treaties. Even with these changes, all MAP disputes in India still come down to the negotiation. For great guidance in that department, check out episode 31 of our long-form Fiona Show podcast, in which former competent authority analyst Barbara Montagani walks you through an entire map and negotiation process, albeit not in India. Say, that sounds an awful lot like another transfer pricing podcast you should be subscribing to regularly, huh? 
In speaking of tax treaties, but turning to a jurisdiction no one pays enough attention to, Russian President Vladimir Putin recently announced a 15% tax on dividends and interest payments to foreign entities. Now, Russia is asking the Netherlands, Cyprus, Luxembourg, and Malta to revise agreements with Russia on double taxation avoidance. Seemingly without shame in... Naming names, the Russian president told the press, quote, Cyprus is the primary destination of dividends and interest payments made by Russian holdings. The Netherlands is number two. Well, dearie me, I dare say, did someone feel a draft of shade excrete through the window shades of this austere residence between my mint juleps? Because something appears to be rotten in the state of Georgia anyway. He said all of this before threatening to withdraw from any treaties with partners refusing to make changes. I guess when you refuse to be a full-fledged member of the OECD, you have your own separate enemies list. Then again, this is Vladimir Putin we're talking about. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu. We want to welcome you back to the show, Pamesh. It's been so long. It seems like only yesterday we had you on for Ireland. But can you tell us about your experience with transfer pricing in Mexico? Right. Yes. Hello. Welcome. I mean, for me, my last role in industry, I worked for a U.S.-based software company. And we had a significant Mexican entity. This was at the time when BEPS was, was initially coming in, and I'm sure we'll talk about this. But it was one of the first countries to really bring on board the, the requirement to submit master file and local files. So, and that means really submit. That just doesn't mean to have it on file. So my experience of that was it, it was almost like the, you know, the, the midnight hour trying to help my colleague in Mexico submit this form via their online tax authority website, SAT website. So that's my experience. It was really trying to get it done in time. And, and it probably leads on to what we're going to talk about. So there are there are lots of interesting, you know, requirements for Mexico. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting jurisdiction. On that note, can we describe how likely it is that anyone would get audited in Mexico? The chances are high, you know, and I think this goes down to really the tax team. I think the within the SAT, I think there is a there's a definite investment in, in a broad transfer pricing team, which is really educated to go out there and enforce the rules. So I'd say the chances are fairly high. And any advice to anyone looking into transfer pricing today? I think, well, you know, from a from a company perspective, you know, if, if your your remit, you know, is, is transfer pricing, I would certainly say that the climate is changing so much is to really get up to date on the current rules for the jurisdictions you, you, you know, you're, you're operating in. 
that would be my my number one recommendation because you know as, as we'll talk about with Mexico, there have been you know recent updates to tax law, and this tends to be happening a lot in jurisdictions around the globe, particularly with BEPS and, and the BEPS recommendations, which came out you know 2015-16. So it's a constantly changing environment, so really keeping up to date. And making yourself heard, I think, is very important. Honing in on Mexico and in speaking of BEPS and BEPS Action 13, obviously Mexico is an OECD member. Has it adopted BEPS Action 13? It did, yes. So, you know, we know BEPS Action 13 is one of the minimum standards. Mexico was an early adopter. So, yeah, it's full compliance on in terms of master file, local file, and and uh, CBC reports. So, and this is really for lead, for multinationals with a group consolidated income equal to or greater than about 630 million US dollars. So I'm quoting the, the threshold from 2018-19. So, you know, the Mexican conversion rate may have changed since then, obviously. Right, right, right. In in which language should documentation be submitted? Uh, the recommendation is Spanish. What are some of the differences between the OECD guidelines and Mexico's regulations there? With the master file first, there are there are some specific descriptions and, and the focus is really around a greater discussion of the multinational entities' business activities. So it's making sure that there, there is greater discussion there. And I think that's that's been highlighted under the general guidance from the OECD. And and there is more more focus on financial activities so depending on what 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 uh, you know intercompany arrangements there are within the group and generally in the company um, the financial activities uh, are another addition to the master file and then moving on to the local file the additional pieces of information to focus on would be an emphasis on the value chain which really isn't hasn't been explicitly mentioned uh, in the initial OECD guidance so a value chain analysis and now you know as an interesting side note the value chain is done in different ways uh, some companies may look at it from a product specific point of view so how a product will let's say go through the supply chain of the business whereas you know another approach would be a more expansive view where you look at the value chain that includes all transaction flows so that's something you know taxpayers will need to address you know, when they're preparing a value chain analysis within their local files other, uh, I guess, departures from OECD would be a discussion or more greater detail, I think, where you have intangible assets, we'll be talking about what we call DEMPI functions. So those are the development, enhancement, maintenance, protection and exploitation of, of IP. So wherever you have IP, there's going to be a greater analysis required on those within the local file. And in terms of other functional analyses, the recommendation should be they should be on a transaction by transaction basis rather than having your functional analysis at a high level generic view. They should be really tailored to uh, the specific transactions. And lastly, I think the, the financial statements for taxpayer and the tested parties, as well as financial information on foreign related parties uh, are required for local files. So they're, they're kind of the, the, the main additions I would like, I would say, you know, would be in a, a Mexican master file or local file. So when you say Mexico requires more descriptions of the value change, what would be a good example of what one country would accept, but Mexico would want more details for? 
I would I would say that the, the supply chain analysis would have to be a discussion of the flows within the supply chain. I think that's the approach that would be looked at. And if you have various products, let's say we're looking at intercompany product flows, then the value chain analysis should focus product as it goes through those areas of the business, areas of the supply chain, if that makes sense. Do you think that's more reflective of Mexico's place in the global economy or their eagerness just to make things more difficult for M&Es? Like, does that provide like an informational benefit to tax authorities? Are they just making us run through hoops? Well, you know, it's, it's easy to say it's the latter, but I, I would like to say, you know, looking at you know, the Mexico rules here, it, it seems to me they're very focused and aligned to the economic strategy of the, of, of the country. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this later as well, but many of the rules and regulations are really aligned to the sectors of the, of the country, which are, the Mexican tax authority thinks should be growing successfully. So I think it's giving greater transparency which I think then goes back to the purpose of OECD and BEPS was was about greater transparency. Taking a brief moment for our first CPE code word this episode, and that code word is Cinco, as in every American's favorite Mexican holiday is obviously Cinco de Mayo, and you thought that would turn into a Sesame Street clue, didn't you? Focusing back onto documentation, does documentation have to be prepared contemporaneously? Yes, it does. Now, the contemporaneous element is important because there are various information returns which are required depending on the multinational entity. But typically, the main transfer pricing informative return, which is an additional return to local file, master file, and CVC, does require you know elements of the transfer pricing analysis to be included. So, information about the interquartile range the number of comparables, SIC codes, et cetera. So, you know, at the time of your tax return, those information returns need to be prepared in addition to that. Certainly recommended, you know, with, with your economic analysis and, and transfer pricing in general, that is prepared by the time of the tax return. Ultimately, you cannot file a return without completing an analysis. It's not simply a checkbox to say the reports are complete. It's much more than that. So, you know, those pieces of information need to be completed for the information returns to be filed in addition to the tax return. Now, that's that's the contemporaneous nature. And from what I said initially, ultimately, the local file master file does need to be submitted on a calendar year basis on the year following the tax year. So that's an actual submission. Uh, now, very few countries do that or have that requirement. It literally is a handful and Mexico is one of them. Would we categorize that more in line with their general economic strategy rather than just differentiating themselves, say, from the OECD and going the so-called tripwire legislation route? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's it's definitely, you know, more more to align the country with its with its goals, effectively. And also, you know, looking at transfer pricing in general, I think it's moving away from the burdensome obligation of of reporting transfer pricing to a more you know, business economic orientated reason to do your transfer pricing. So, you know, the focus is more on, and particularly I think this, this really applies to the, the new tax reform, which we'll discuss later. I think it's really about aligning the goals of, of the SAT with the Mexican government. 
in addition to the local and master file, Mexico requires those informative returns. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's a number of returns, and to, to list those off, you know, you have a a multiple information return for transactions with foreign related parties, also known as uh, Exhibit Nine. There are also specific returns depending on the type of or, or form of the company. So, for example, if it's it's a manufacturing entity or a maquiladora, there are particular kinds of returns required. And there are also an export services return. And also with the actual tax return itself, the corporate income tax return, there are transfer pricing exhibits and questionnaires which need to be filled in. So, you know, there, there, are, there are a number of returns which need to be filed. And, and typically they are either done as part of the tax return or in addition to the return. And briefly interrupting for a moment for our second CPE code word, and that code word is Madre, as in the Sierra Madre Oriental and the Sierra Madre Occidental mountain ranges that run the entire length of Mexico north to south. And does Mexico have a preference in terms of transfer pricing methodologies? It does, yes. So the the preference is towards the comparable and controlled price, the cup method, and, and it's it's a hierarchy. So if the cup method you know, isn't suitable, then it's assumed a company can move on to the other transactional methods, such as resale price or cost plus. And then if those aren't preferable, then we can move toward the transactional profit-based methods. So starting with the TNMM, also known as the CPM, before you get to the profit split, which may be towards the end of that. Given the manufacturing base in Mexico, you were talking before about intangible transactions and uh, the you know the details on transfer pricing policy and DEMPA functions in the regulations and the differences between Mexico's regulations and the OECD. I take it if you're say a hired tech company with a lot of IP, you know you can probably uh, I don't want to say skip the cup, but it would probably be assumed that you you'd move down the hierarchy yeah i mean i think that would be that would be the case i mean unless we're looking at um you know the traditional trademark licenses pretty much is, is adopting a cut so in, in the us it would be known as the comparable and controlled transactions so where we look at direct agreements if we move beyond that and then we're looking at maybe ip intensive industries then certainly that makes sense and quite often you know in in, in areas which involve development of IP, then, you know, ultimately we are looking at a combination of a TNMM or profit split sometimes in those situations. And in your benchmarking, do you have to show local comparables? There's no hard and fast requirement for local Mexico comparables. And I think I think from experience, um, local comparables wouldn't be difficult to find. There is data available. But, you know, what also helps is, is regional comparables will be accepted. So whether it's Latin America or whether it's you know North America, so including the U.S. and Canada, and the, the requirement either way is, is that as long as the comparables are similar to the tested party, so as long as we've got the comparability, then that should be fine. And does Mexico require a multi-year analysis or a single year? It's usually a multi-year, and it's usually you know the last three years. That seems to be typical on a weighted average basis. Now, occasionally, if you wanted to look at more than three years, there would have to be a good reason to do that, probably a good uh, economic reason to include those numbers in the analysis. So I think three years is, is certainly the, the preference. 
Do you think something like COVID would be such an occasion? That's a good point. I think it would be as long as you know you could your documentation has that extra support behind it in the narrative. Then one could say, particularly if you take you know this this year as the last tax year in that three year weighted average, that year would slump pretty much when we look at the comparables. And and we will see that when that data becomes available, you know, at the end of this year, early next year. So you know, a good argument would be to you know let's widen the number of years, maybe going going back further, so we can smooth out that average. Staying with benchmarking, while many countries require that financials be updated annually in terms of benchmarking, is it true that Mexico requires fresh benchmarking searches every year? Yes, it's it's, it's recommended to to have fresh benchmarks because I think that's that's something the the tax authority expects. And we're talking about full benchmarks as opposed to just refreshing the financials. So yeah, definite full update, full full benchmarking analysis is required. Is it true that reliable information for Mexican public companies isn't always available? I mean, I know we've talked a lot about countries that have not the most reliable public data. Public data in general isn't considered that rock solid. But is Mexico middle of the bell curve in that respect? Yeah, it could be. I think it could be. I mean, it's worth mentioning that reliability, as you say, depends. It is really relative, right? And it's always the job of the taxpayer to make sure that the required due diligence has been done on, on the analysis of comparables to make sure that, you know, we've, we've ruled out any potential flaw in, in the reliability of the data. But, you know, if you can verify the data with published accounts, and then that's obviously a good step. So that verification step is important. But I think the problem of reliability could really exist globally. Um, it's just a case of cutting through the weeds. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp and interrupting very briefly for our third and final cpe code word and that code word is biodiversity as in mexico ranks fourth in the world for biodiversity and is home to 200,000 different species of life everybody better get that answer right in jeopardy Turning to the latest of late regulations coming from Mexico on January 1st, 2020, Mexico's new tax reform took effect. How did that reform plan affect transfer pricing? Yeah, this was a very interesting reform. It really came into various pieces of tax legislation in Mexico. And 
you know, it, it really was applying different rules. It really took its, yeah, I guess, its inspiration from not just BEPS Action 13, but other BEPS Actions. And the impact was really on rules like permanent establishment rules, reportable transaction rules, general anti-avoidance rules, and limitations on, on payments to preferred regimes. So it was really a, an expansive view as to how this legislation can fit into the new landscape. This reform also touches on many elements at play in BEPS 2.0, which we haven't talked enough about uh, in the transfer pricing world of late. Can you tell us a little bit about BEPS 2.0 and how this tax reform is reflective of those initiatives? The OECD wants a lot of countries to move to, and, it, and when, when we're looking at the tax reform, it's, it's a lot of it's going towards that. So it's really trying to redefine a lot of what we what was traditionally, you know, done in transfer pricing or in the name of transfer pricing. It's trying to shift the rules. I think the most radical would be a departure from the arms length or something additional to the arms length. I think that that would be the most radical change. What is the difference between BEPS 1.0 and BEPS 2.0 that that this new Mexican tax reform is moving closer to? Right. So, um, well, you know, BEPS, you think about BEPS 1.0 is pretty much, you know, a number of years ago, the OECD decided, particularly with Action 13, that, you know, this is how, you know, transfer pricing documentation would go with CBC, master file, local file. But pretty much, you know, the unfair principle, you know, how tax income is being allocated across multinational groups, you know, that pretty much stays the same. We just have to be more transparent and there's greater disclosure. But I think BEPS 2.0 is really a move to changing, you know, the fundamental principle on how we allocate income across tax jurisdictions for a multinational company. So that could be in the form of getting rid of the arm's length approach, maybe looking at other ways to apportion it, or maybe augmenting the arm's length analysis, where you have the arm's length analysis plus some kind of apportionment based on the type of transactions. But BEPS 2.0 is also having some kind of you know, minimum tax. And we're starting to see that you know, in, in many jurisdictions around the world. And I think in Mexico, uh, in particular, in relation to the VAT law changes, which include the digital economy and foreign digital platforms, I think there the tax is really in the form of of applying it through a withholding tax. So it's almost like a backstop. It's saying, well, you know, if we're going to lose money to low taxes jurisdictions, let's gain it through another way. So it's either going to be a minimum tax or it's going to be a, in another way using withholding tax. So and these are very interesting times because, you know, I think I think prior to BEPS, I don't think much happened for a decade or longer, but it seems to me now things are happening so quickly. So it's, it's interesting. I can't help but remark on how much it seems the debates over singular items of the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 proposals in the digital services tax debate, uh, also currently raging, seems to have trickled over into this renewed view of BEPS. Yeah, absolutely. I think it does. And I think there's also new flavor to it. You know, I think you know, Mexico and other countries are, are taking what they get from, from the OECD guidance and the discussions and seeing you know, where, where can it be applied in its own particular situation. It is very interesting. 
in what situations are likely to trigger an audit or at least extra scrutiny? What comes at the top of my list, not just for Mexico, but for other jurisdictions is, is business restructuring. So quite often we see that where the you know, functions are centralizing and, and maybe the risks are moving to, to lower tax jurisdictions. Structures are changing to more of a uh, limited risk structures with a, with a principle, the central of, of all of that. Other areas to be mindful of would be you know, the, the movement of IP. And I think something I've had experience with, with Mexico is, is with management fees. Now, you know, this is something that quite a lot of taxpayers may often consider as fairly routine. But, you know, I think the tax authority will pay particular scrutiny to the management fees if the people functions aren't correctly defined and also the you know the cost allocations have to be looked at accurately because i think you know if those areas are let's say you know skirted over and are rather generic that may that may cause a, an additional peak in the interest of the tax authority if that makes sense it does. Just a, a quick question in, in centralizing functions. So is it general business restructuring or just that focus on moving things to low tax jurisdictions that triggers the audit? If you restructured your business to be less centralized or less running through low tax jurisdictions, would, would that have a greater likelihood of evading audit? I would say, generally speaking, it's it's always all restructurings where one could see a tax impact. Now, that may not just be movements to low tax jurisdictions because some of the restructurings could involve the closure of entities. And when entities close and if they have business contracts, maybe third party customer contracts, they often cease or they get transferred maybe to or, or sold on to other entities. And in that situation, if that happens in a particular country, let's say in Mexico, there's a value to those customer contracts. So quite often, the Mexican tax authority may, may challenge any changes in the quantum, if you like, of, of those customer relationships which have now moved. That could also tweak the interest of, of a tax authority. So I, I would say, you know, yes, look at centralizing functions and, and particularly with low tax jurisdictions. But, you know, we must be mindful that when entities are, are closing and maybe new ones are starting up, that could also be uh, an area of interest. It's true also that uh, the TP group in Mexico targets specific industries like hydrocarbons, life science, and automotive, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's been a experience of, of that happening, you know, in terms of, as you say, a special attention. So, and that, that would seem to make sense because, you know, these areas certainly in Mexico that that would make sense in terms of, you know, its, its next growth phase. These sectors are very, very current and certainly something that would see great growth in the future. Right, right, right. And here we are in a global pandemic turning to COVID, and many countries have offered tax and transfer pricing relief plans. Interestingly, though, Mexico chose not to. Why was that? There is a, a belief that, you know, on the part of the tax authority that it would be, you know, helping perhaps only certain taxpayers. So maybe there's a level of kind of discrimination, which, which wouldn't be fair. And I think uh, there's a belief that the measure is, is something akin to a tax amnesty, which is something you know, the, the Mexican government would oppose. So I would say that they would be probably the main reasons. 
A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And Pamesh, we want to thank you again for joining us. We now come to the part of the program that's my favorite. We have all new questions for you in our rapid fire round of what we want to know. But the first question is always, are you ready? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Excellent. What is your dream place to live? That's a very good question. Well, I would I would say it would be a place, maybe not a you know not a specific country but i would say something where there's plenty of plenty of sea i think uh, plenty of water would be good if you weren't in transfer pricing your dream job would be my, my, i think sticking with the sea theme probably something to do with marine biology <laughs> i think that cool that, that can be more different right to what i do <laughs> who doesn't want to swim with the dolphins right <laughs> yeah what are your preferred strategies for managing or working remotely Sure. You know, one of the great tips would be to embrace the technology that's available to you because it really does help. It really connects everybody. And I think in addition to that is even though it's remote, think about it as people in the same, we're still in the same company or the same department. You can still speak to people. We're still having meetings, right? So it's important to speak, important to pick up the phone or the, or your virtual handset, you know, and communicate. So never stop communicating. So I think combination of the technology and communication, I think are great strategies. Do you have a favorite motto? Um, I'm going to be really boring and say I don't. Um, I wish I did. But <laughs> I'm feeling really kind of letting the side down to have it. I was thinking of something I could I could say, which was really cutting edge, but I'm sorry. <laughs> If we if we want to salvage the segment, I actually heard a really good one the other day. It's one of those like, um, you know, poster phrases that you see all the time, but it's Latin and I never knew what it meant. And it's Amor Fati. And I was reading this thing online uh, yesterday, and that means love your fate, which means no matter what happens and no matter what crazy, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow and, you know, whatever tragedy befalls your life, you 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 fall in love with that fate, no matter how unappetizing it might have seemed at first. And there was a really great explainer for it. And now I'm espousing that as, 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 as my new mantra. So you can have that one for free. Um, I, I love that one. I think that's okay. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started your career? I think it would be to be probably less apprehensive about your chosen career path, because it seems to be as each year goes by, those traditional career structures and career paths are just are just dissolving, right? So you know you really can move into so many different areas by simply being 
part of hopefully a dynamic company. So I think careers are changing. So I think, you know, I would I would say right at the beginning, don't be too apprehensive whether you think you're in something that, that's going to work or not. Because believe me, you know, I would say 10, 15, even fewer years than that, you know, you could be doing something completely different, right? But what you did then helped you get to where you need to be now. Um, so I think it's, yeah, the, the, the world of work has never been more interesting because it, it's just changing and it changes. I think for the good, I think it changes year on year. These are, this is the free motto episode <laughs> of, of, of the Fiona show in case anybody needed a mantra for life. This is, this is your spiritual guidance. Pamesh, thank you so much for being on this program. We always love having you and thank you to everyone at home for tuning in. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple podcasts and Spotify. And while you're there, check out our short form sister podcast, the Fiona show hot off the press with all of the latest reg changes and transfer pricing headlines from around the world in under 10 minutes. My name is Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this program. Our executive producer, Marilyn Mitchum-Strom, writes our scripts, although I wrote the news section for today's episode, which is why it was sillier than normal. We'll catch everyone next week. Until then, stay safe and stay sane.